You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, this week is our first week back since our trip to Australia. Wow. Did we have an incredible time on the other side of the world? Now we are moving into the second half of March. And I want to let you guys know, uh, especially for those of you that have really appreciated the prayers and the prayer resources at our ministry, we are now moving to establish a Spanish prayer page. What that means is we are currently, that's right now, translating all of our prayers into Spanish so that our prayers can be shared with your Spanish speaking friends and relatives and hopefully be found by many Spanish speaking people in Spanish speaking countries. Now, what we've realized is that we, I mean, we have, and this has been an ongoing thing, we've had a lot of emails come in and say, hey, can we get your prayers in Spanish? I mean, we, we've had that for a while now. And so we are finally at the point where we are moving into multi-language ministry. And, and I'm really excited about this. What I'm very, very excited about is that it's not even a question of how can we do this because the resources are there. And, and from a financial standpoint, it's thanks to those of you that so into this platform that we can just pull the trigger on a project like this without having to second guess, oh, how are we going to raise all this money and get these resources? No, it's just there. And, and you know what? That sounds to me like where the Bible says, and my God shall supply all your need according to the abundance of his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so, in any case, I want to just uh, take a moment to honor our supporters financially. And, and you know, folks, here's the deal. Uh, we are moving into multi-language ministry in, in, in multiple ways. I'm actually believing God that in the over the course of this year and into the next year, we're going to be able to translate our prayers into uh, many other languages, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, you know, uh, and we're just going to need to believe God, obviously, for the right people to to do these translations. But um, wow, thanks to you guys, I, I mean, we can certainly afford to make these resources available as ministry. So I just want to uh, let you know what's on the agenda. Also, and, and this may really excite some of you, we are going to move to uh, get the Bride Ministries Institute translated <laughs> into other languages as well. So we're going to be getting the manuscripts or the transcripts of all of those courses and 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 then moving either into dubbing or subtitling that institute and then making it available in Spanish and Russian and Chinese and some other languages that, you know, areas of the world we'd really like to see this work impact. And so, you know, be, be praying with us in that direction. You know, we have made the switch to Bride Ministries International. Our logos reflect this switch because our, our scope, our vision is now becoming much broader in this season. We're not called to stay 
so niche and limited uh, and focused. We are now expanding our horizons. God is expanding our tent, strengthening our cords, strengthening our stakes. And so so that is the news at Bride. I mean, of course, there's a lot of other news. I want to make sure that you guys know Bride Ministries Church. We are meeting every Sunday night. We're having a great time. That is a place to find community. We have groups that are meeting as a result of those that come to the church. You know, we tell you about the groups. You get to sign up for those, and then you meet people, hang out, all on the internet from the comfort of your own home. Um, and and you know, I am just very excited about the way that the community has been uh, getting developed at our our ministry i mean it's just incredible i have met the most incredible people that have connected with this platform and and that's why we have events but but the events get communicated to those and, and i'm talking live events uh that are ministry that are bride ministries uh those live events get communicated primarily to those that come to the bride ministries church that's where you get the download on our uh retreats which we are now calling advances and other things we'll be doing in the future and so Anyway, I want to encourage you guys to connect with that. Other than that, we're just going to get right into the program. We have an amazing guest this week, uh, someone that has not been on the podcast before. And you are going to be able to enjoy Blake Healy. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, we are back, and we are sitting down with a guest that has not graced our program before, but who has certainly been making a powerful impact. His name is Blake Healy. He is the director of the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry and part of the leadership team at Bethel Atlanta Church. He travels to churches and conferences across the country to share his experiences of seeing in the spirit and to teach others about this spiritual gift. He's the author of The Veil and the book that we're going to be focusing on today, which is called Profound Good, Seeing Through the Lens of God's Love. Blake, welcome to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, it's really cool to be able to sit down with you, Blake. And you know, you are a prolific seer. I mean, the, the God has gifted you in this area. And, and um, you know, I love that your heart is to bring coaching to this gift, balance to this gift. Uh, and, and I know that in our ministry, we have met our fair share of seers. And there are far too few instructors in the body of Christ that are really training and equipping people to operate proficiently in this gift and so it's really a pleasure to have you on uh, it's really glad to be here I, yeah it's definitely something that i i um just really want people to be equipped to understand and know how to engage with a lot more amen well you know uh we're just going to jump right into it in your book uh which i read and i, I enjoyed very much by the way um okay. You start off, you know, you spent some time talking about seeing in the spirit from early childhood, which I appreciated because you know, I, I had some similar experiences. Mm-hmm. I saw 
stuff in my childhood, most of it was torment and demonic. <laughs> I didn't get nearly as much angelic as you got. But, you know, you, you talk about your experience. And it, in your case, I mean, it didn't stop with childhood for you. It went throughout. It followed you all your life. And I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about some of your early years and, and how that worked out for you. Yeah, so when I was, when I was really young, I... Um, <clears throat> You know, it's funny remembering back now because I, I, I didn't necessarily know that I was seeing anything unusual, you know, because everything, the whole world was new to me, you know. But I remember even when I was a little kid, being two years old in the back of my parents' um, minivan when we were you know, driving at the drive through window at the bank. And my mom was just chatting with the bank teller and there was some worship music on the radio. And I remember seeing about a half dozen um, baseball-sized lights just kind of drifting around to, to the rhythm of the music. And so I remember seeing these things from a, from a you know, really young age. But again, back then, it was just part of everything else, or at least to, to my mind, it was. And even when I would tell these things to my parents, you know, they kind of just thought I had an active imagination, you know, when I talk about seeing a big black dog flying over the city or, you know, golden ladies dancing uh, during, during church. And so... I've been seeing these things my, my whole life and it, you know, just to kind of compress everything, at least, at least to a little bit of this kind of early childhood journey when I was um, kind of from the age of zero to, to nine, you know, it wasn't really until nine years old that I started realizing that I was having a bit of a different experience than the other people around me. And before that, that understanding could fully form, I, um, I started kind of some of what you described having, nights where I just had this extreme torment where, where, whereas beforehand, even when I would see demonic things, there wasn't this sense of fear that came with it. And for whatever reason at this, at this point, um, it, it just switched over to where, um, the, there was just this, this extreme fear that would come with the things that I would see. And I would just feel paralyzed, you know, and, um, that happened for three and a half years every night where I would just every single night I see whenever I'd see stuff during the day, it was as it had been before. I wouldn't really feel that sense of fear. There was no sense of, of danger or anything like that, but just had this overwhelming fear as I was, as I was seeing these things at nighttime. And so that happened for three years. And I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if the devil had just flipped open the phone book and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin this guy's life, you know, or, 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 or what, but anything I tried to do just didn't, didn't help. It wasn't until I was 12 years old and we started going to a church that was really active about training people in the gifts of the spirit, about training people to hear God's voice. That I finally had, um, kind of two things. I, I finally had enough of a context to really understand the things that I saw or, or to, even if the other people that are around me weren't having the exact same experience, I finally at least had a grid for it, you know? And, um, also it gave me the courage to fully tell my parents what, what was going on because I was, I was scared to fully share everything that I was seeing. Um, and so all, all I really told them was just that I was, I was um, just uh, kind of having nightmares and being scared at, at night. And so when I fully shared with my parents everything that was going on, that I was seeing this stuff, and when I realized that what I had was not just the, the it wasn't that the devil had just flipped open the phone book and landed on my name, but I had a gift that I hadn't learned how to manage yet. That completely took all of that, that overwhelming feeling out of fear, out of the things that I saw. And over the course of one week, all of the torment completely stopped. Wow. 
that's that's really unique i i, I was reading that in your book and i was like <laughs> if only that was everyone's experience um <laughs> but 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 very powerful you know and i appreciate the fact that you know you, you acknowledge the night terror so to speak uh, mm -hmm. i certainly went through my share of that uh it, it, it was interesting in my case because when i was young i would see them and feel them at the same time like the demonic entities they would just appear i could feel it the slime the fear the hatred whatever they carried and and see them and then uh that stopped and then there was a season where the attacks would happen at night and it would sometimes start in a dream. But then next thing I knew these entities would be wrestling with my physical body uh, and I wouldn't see them. It's very interesting. But, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your efforts to tell people what you, because you, you, you mentioned it, you're like, you know, you realize at a certain point that not everyone was experiencing the same thing thing as you that yeah. your world was actually different. i mean what what was that like try, trying to meet out like wait how different am i in this experience sure yeah yeah it it's it's funny how it happened because i am um, so i was a missionary kid growing up and so I am um, from the age of five until about nine, we were on the mission field. And so I was around most of the kids that didn't speak English. And so I think maybe partially because of that, I maybe went a little bit longer without realizing that there was, you know, that, that there was something different going on because there was just a language barrier there. And, <clears throat> and so when I, I remember when I was 12 years, yeah, when I was, um, nine years old, we moved back to the United States and started going to, uh, you know, American school and everything. And I, I started, um, uh, just, uh, you know, I would, I would mention things that I would, I remember a specific thing. I saw these, um, these angels, what I now know are angels, you know, standing in front of the door to class and they were pouring oil on, on kids' heads as they were walking through the hallways. And, I remember mentioning that and getting this, these funny looks from my fellow, uh, you know, fourth grade students. And, and it was funny because I remember at the time thinking like, um, you know, cause I had been a missionary kid. So I've been in a bunch of different cultures and I learned that, you know, being one thing that is perfectly fine to do in one culture is very impolite in another culture. And so I remember specifically thinking like, oh, I guess it's impolite to talk about the, the golden ladies, you know, maybe that's just not a proper thing to bring up, you know? <laughs> I remember thinking that as a little kid. Um, and so I, it's, it, looking back now, it's really fascinating to me how quickly and easily culture, I could learn from cultural cues to not talk about this stuff or to ignore this stuff or to recognize this as something that wasn't valid or something that I shouldn't pay attention to. Not because, even at, at that point, not because anyone told me to, but just because just natural cultural feedback, you know? And so I've, I've talked to a lot of people who experienced this at a younger age and were either specifically told like, that's just your imagination or you need to stop that or that's bad or, or something like that. And so that compiled with just the, again, the pressure to not mention this stuff or the negative response you can get sometimes when bringing this stuff up out of context can, can really cause someone to shut it down, you know? Did you find that you were often getting targeted to be shut down? 
You know, I, I was very, very fortunate in that my parents were really good at not doing that. Wow. Um, I, I did experience that at school again, and not, you know, especially at school, like no one was intentionally doing that. They're just understanding what I'm saying, you know, and I, it, be, my personality is, is to be a little bit more introverted. And so I very quickly stopped talking about that kind of stuff. And so I didn't even really have an opportunity to get uh, actively shut down because I just stopped talking about it altogether. And then I started having that really negative experience. And so again, the way I responded to that was to kind of shut down and hold that to myself. And again, I was very blessed and fortunate to end up in an environment when I was a little bit older that actually encouraged that and, and had an awareness of it. And so I, and I, and I know a lot of folks have run into such circumstances where they've been actively shut down with, with regard to this gift. And I've, I've actually had a fair number of pastors apologize to me uh, for, for times that they had shut other people down uh, again, only because they didn't know that it was something that happened or, or again, many of them have told me, I just didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to tell the person to do, you know? So I, I was very fortunate in that I, I was not very frequently the, uh, on the receiving end of, of direct shutdown in, in that way. Wow. Now, I, I want to actually ask you a question. This is a little off script. Uh, and you, you can actually decline to answer this question if you want to. But this is, this is a phenomena that I have mm -hmm. noticed okay? um, in some other seers. And it is that not only do they discern angelic activity and demonic activity, but there will be some discernment even into the creation. So there, I mean, as strange as it sounds, people say that they can, you know, understand what the trees are saying or mm -hmm. the birds um, of course, everyone's heard of dog whispers and so forth, but has any of this to any degree been part of your seer experience or has it been strictly, you know, angels, demons, human spirit stuff. And, and that's where it ends. Yeah, I would definitely say that stuff has been the main kind of focus or the main draw for me. Um, I, I, I haven't had a lot of the, of, I haven't had a lot of that in a direct way. Like, you know, to, it's a strange way to put it, but I've, I've never heard a tree talk or, or anything like that. I know. Um, one thing that's it, it, very much in that vein that I very much have experienced is oftentimes when I'm out hiking or camping or just out in, you know, in nature, or just, you know, again, I, I live out in an area that's pretty well forested and, and everything, that I, I see angels moving around just in nature in areas where there aren't any people, you know? And I... And I've seen, like, when I go out and visit the ocean, you know, I've seen angels just dancing on the waves and, and things like that. And to me, this, this, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in this area by any means, but to me, it speaks of, speaks of that, that all of God's creation celebrates, you know, who he is and all of his creation reflects who he is. And I think that we, in a lot of ways, understand very very little of how connected everything he created is to him and even even then this is just kind of 
touching on something that can be a very large subject, but even the idea of the spirit realm, we think of it as this other realm or, or something like that. When in reality, it's as much a part of creation as anything else. It's not this other thing. It's, it's part of the same thing that, that God designed, that God made. And so it's not like a special other place. If you want to, you know, think of that way, it's, it's all connected. So it makes sense that, that all of creation would be, if not, it's not the same thing necessarily, but it's, but it's connected to that, you know, if that makes sense. That's good. Uh, on the subject of water, you mm. in your book share a story about a day at the pool. Fascinating story. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I shared this is one of the early stories in the book, uh, the newest book. Um, where uh, me and my wife were with our, our first son and our, se- our second son had just been born. And we went, we just went out to the pool just to hang out. It was a you know, public pool. And we got there. There was no one else there at first. And we were, you know, swimming around. And uh, my wife was sitting on the edge with our, with our newborn baby. And I was swimming with our, our older son. And we, um, we were just paddling around there in the water for a little bit. And kind of the main like kind of core of the story that I like to pull out was there's this woman who came there um, after, you know, we were the only people for a few minutes and this uh, older woman came and she was wearing this, you know, navy blue one piece bathing suit with a uh, white ruffly shoulders and a swimmer's cap. And uh, she was also uh, wearing a diving mask, um, children's inflatable water wings and had two paddle boards and two like foam noodles tucked under her arms. And so she was a, uh, very difficult not to stare at is the last way I can think of that. And, and so she gets in the, you know, she's probably in her mid or late sixties and she, she gets with all her stuff, you know, and then just starts, starts paddling and she's doing her best, but she's splashing everywhere, you know, and she just makes it just a little bit and then kind of pulls her head up and huffing and puffing, you know, and then paddles back to the edge and then does it again and again and again. She keeps doing this and, Finally, you know, I'm playing with my son, trying not to, trying to give her her privacy the best I can, which is making a lot of, you know, racket. Um, and I finally, I just, you know, think to myself, like, well, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I look up and I see this woman's personal angel uh, standing on the water in front of her as she's in the middle of one of her, one of her swimming sessions. And this, this woman's angel couldn't be more excited. She's jumping up and down, pumping her fist, saying, go, go, go. You got this. You can do it. Keep going. And just so excited as you could be, you know, cheering this woman on. And I, I looked a little bit to the right, and just over the woman as she was swimming, I saw um, this, this demon, and it was, it was scratching and poking at the, at the back of her head and just you know, kind of clawing at her. But when I looked at it, even though this was a very aggressive action, when I looked at the demon's face, it had an expression of just absolute terror on its, on its face. And, and I, you know, just looking at this whole scene, I just asked the Holy Spirit, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I just heard him say, she, she's been afraid of the water since she almost drowned when she was really little. And she decided that today it was time for her to get over that fear. And I just felt so much like fatherly pride in in the the way that he said that that it honestly kind of wrecked me and it and it just kind of all of a sudden I, I just highlighted that this woman would in very in a very practical way humble herself to 
to try to overcome this fear and that she was, she was actually practicing for over 45 minutes over and over and over again, trying to, trying to do this, you know, and I could just, just feel the joy of the Lord that this woman was doing just this very, very simple thing, but that she was really putting her heart into it, you know? Wow. And it was, it was cool because afterwards me and my wife switched places and my, my wife's a lot more direct person than I am. So she, right away went straight up to the woman and said, what are you, what are you doing? You know? And the, and the woman, you know, told her, you know, I've realized early the earlier this year that I have way too many dreams to let fear stop me from going after any of them. So she said, this week I'm learning how to swim and next week I'm going skydiving. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, it's very interesting the way you're describing this because clearly you see a demonic oppression confronting mm-hmm. this woman, but by facing her fear, like very, very literally in the natural, mm-hmm. um, she's actually overcoming that, mm-hmm. even without a, 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 a standard rebuke in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? It, it, that's that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, and just the way that, you know, that, 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 that works out when you, when you, when you explain it that way. And so, hmm, and you see this kind of activity, angels and demons working in rooms and scenarios and situations all the time. Mm-hmm. Anytime I have the mind to look. Yeah. Wow. No, no. Explain that for a minute. Okay. So you said anytime I have the mind to look. Right. So it's like an on-off switch, right? You put the privacy screen down, mm-hmm. pull it up. <laughs> Explain that to people that wouldn't necessarily, like, because there, there's a certain understanding in certain circles of Christianity. It goes something like this. Uh, the gifts of the spirit are given by the will of God and they only operate by the will of God. So the only way you operate in a gift of the spirit is if God pushes the on button and suddenly boom, you're doing it. And then he pushes the off button and you stop. You're a robot. Okay. So some people come from that. You you clearly don't. (laughs) So why don't you talk a little bit about it? What what are the mechanics here? Yeah. So I'll I'll dive into the mechanics and then I'll try to get into, so the, the best metaphor that I've kind of come to for, for how to describe the sensation is, there, there is a hard off and a hard on switch, but that feels a little bit more like, you know, your hand by default, you're just kind of relaxing it, just kind of, you know, hangs about like that or so. And I can choose very easily to close my hand completely or to open it completely, but it usually just kind of hangs right about there, you know, and it takes intentionality to keep it at one or the other. Um, and so there's always, in the same way, and this is very true of our other spiritual senses as well, it's like we can pay attention we can extend those, those senses out in the same way that we could, even with our physical senses, just really listen or really you know, look for something. Um, but again, kind of the most apt metaphor that I have is when you're, when you're driving a car, um, you, know, you can look through the windshield and see the other cars, the road, the street signs, and all these things, what you're supposed to do. Um, or you can look at the windshield itself and focus on that. And if you do, you usually see like, maybe little particles of dust or um, some water spots, you know, maybe a little, little blemish here or there. Now, those things are always there, whether you're focusing them on them or not, but you either choose to focus on that, what's right in front of you, or you choose to focus through that to, to the rest of the world. 
And that's, that's kind of the best way I can describe how it, how it feels. It's like it's choosing to focus on uh, that area. Now, to, to, to kind of your description of how the spiritual gifts function is, I, the way that I visualize it anyway is more that God gives us those gifts, and those are very, very literal to an extent in that they're tools that he's put in your hands, that, he, that, he's, that, he's, that he's given to you. And I think that you can just use those. However, now I think there's a very, and I would, I would agree with some of that other philosophy in, in this particular way, that there is a very big difference between me just using a tool and my father with me wrapping his hand around that tool and helping me use it and teaching me how to use it. And I, I now I think that as we grow and mature, that we learn that oftentimes I believe that God wants to interact with with us in both ways that he wants those moments where he wraps his hand around ours and we work together to learn how to you know use this hammer use this tool but i think that the purpose of that is to train us so that we understand his ways we understand how it operates that we can learn to use that tool um uh, by in ways that that he's uh that we're partnering with him in in to to use and to release and to bless other people with and so now we're always doing it in the context of relationship and we're always doing it in the context of his character, the boundaries of our relationship, you know, and, and protecting our connection with God. But I think that the idea that he just divinely comes in and takes over to me undermines the, the extremely apparent picture that God has drawn throughout scripture of the value that he puts on having free will, you know, and having, having our choice to partner with him, be part of the process, you know? And so, so that's some of the mechanics for me. And the way that happens practically is I can stop and look, you know, right now and see what's, what's going on. But also sometimes I just feel this, this gentle tug from, from the Holy Spirit say, Hey, look over here. Hey, look what's going on over there. You know? And and sometimes I feel very not so gentle tug, you know, to, to hey, what's no, look over there, you know. Um, and so, and, and to me, both of those things are valuable. You know, sometimes when I just choose to look, sometimes I just observe and learn and try to understand things. But sometimes that leads into something where the Lord tells me to act on something or to, or to you know, lean into something in a specific way. More often than not, when the Holy Spirit's kind of pulling me into something, that's because he wants me to tell someone something or wants to, you know, uh, tell me something about something that's going on. So, yeah. I, I love that explanation for a few reasons. Number one, I have found that people have been stifled in their development with their spiritual gifts because they are expecting a hard on. Maybe it happened mm -hmm. that way for them one time. All of a sudden, the spirit mm -hmm. of the Lord came on them and they were prophesying and they were yeah. not even in control. It was just like, oh, was, and so they expect that that's going to be the experience every time it's legitimate. Mm -hmm. And so they never actually step into a development of the gift. They just mm -hmm. kind of stalemate right there on this, what I would call a false expectation and mm -hmm. the way you explain it is so good because it kind of lifts the, the false expectation right off. And it's like, no, you know, this is a tool your father has given you. And you're, what you're describing is sonship. And I love that 
Because yeah. sonship means that God trains us to do what he does in, mm-hmm. in a process. He yeah. does it. Then we do it with him. Then we do it while he watches. And then we just do it. You know, it's like, that's how parents raise their kids. It's like, you know, and, and as you develop, there is a shift in how the flow goes and you're describing that. And it's beautiful. It, yeah. it, it, it's, it's extraordinarily helpful. And so I'm glad you said that. Totally. Yeah, another metaphor that sometimes people find helpful is it's like, you know, it's like we're little birds that are learning how to fly. And those moments where, because I think it's not, it's not just a single cycle in that, like you described that, you know, hey, he does it for me. He does it with me. He does it while I, I do it while he's watching and then I do it alone. I think that we go through that and then he teaches us the new level of mastery. And at that point, he kind of has to do it for us again. And then, and that just goes on forever because he's, he's got a lot, <laughs> you know, in fact, he's got infinity. Um, but another way to look at it is like he, he's like a, a big, you know, the big strong bird that takes the baby bird, grabs it and lifts it up. And in that moment, he lifts us up higher than we could go on our own. You know, and I think anyone who's ever, you know, operated in any gift of the spirit, you know, preaching, praying, uh, intercession, you know, any of these things, are these moments where God just takes you, he's like, I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know where this idea came from, you know, or, or moments like that. And that's God lifting you up. And then he lets go. He doesn't let go to be cruel. He lets go so that you can kind of put out those wings and get a feel for what it's like to maintain this, this steward, this, this height, to, to kind of get comfortable with those, those wings. And it's, and again, we can look at those and think, oh no, God's left me or God's, or I'm just plateauing now and that means I'm bad or that means, you know, I'm not growing. It's like, oh no, he's just taking it up and he's letting go so that you can learn how to own this place and learn how to fly this place, fly here yourself. And once you do that, chances are he's going to grab you and take you even higher, you know. But when he lets go, that's not him being cruel or being distant or anything like that. That's him giving you the opportunity to learn how to make it yours, make it something that you own. I I love that. Can can you give one, um, you know, example uh, of of, of a time where God took you to another level, then let you go and you acclimated? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so this, this is a very, very practical um, example, but so this has happened again. This cycle for me has happened dozens of times, especially specific things that I see. Because I, in my new book, Profound Good, I kind of outlined some of this. Um, but even though I have seen the spirit with my eyes for as long as I can remember, there's still new things that I'm seeing all the time, and things that I would see that would only be maybe kind of blurry or just like an outline. But then they get clearer and clearer as I go. And one easy example is people's personal angels. So every, every person I've ever met has, has a personal angel and the angel is just with them all the time. And it used to be that I couldn't see these at all, um, except for certain moments where the Holy Spirit was highlighted and all of a sudden I could see it. And after, after a few of those happening, then I could always see an outline. I could always see an outline of at least where their angel was standing. And every now and again, it would come in either a little bit clearer or just completely clear. And it would be like those kind of special moments where all of a sudden, head to toe, I could see their personal angel was clear as day. And then it got to be about a third of the time I could see someone's personal angel really clearly. And then the rest of the time it would be kind of blurry. And 
nowadays, I, I, the last, I guess, five, five years or so, I can't think of a time that I've met someone that I couldn't immediately see their personal angel clearly, like just from the moment that I met them. And so that's a very, very practical and clear kind of series of, I couldn't, I could only see this at all when it was a special moment where God was highlighting it. And then it just became something that now I at least currently have access to just in time. That is really cool. I'm sure you get a lot of folks when you mention that standing in line to say, Hey, can you tell me about my, my turn? Yes, it does come up. (laughs) We've definitely had had people show up at at our church here in Bethel Atlanta just to, Hey, can you please tell me what my angel looks like? And so it's, it it definitely happens. (laughs) Um, okay. So, uh, I think that's really encouraging. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, when you see these, these personal angels that you're looking at, um, do they appear to be different sizes and shapes? For Yeah, definitely. I, I would say personal angels, um, they tend to usually look, be within the ballpark of the same height as the person and more or less look like a person. Um, there's of course exceptions to that, but um, that's that's typically the the case. Um, the um, but I have seen examples of where a personal angel has looked very small. You know, even something that was like saying someone's shoulder. I know it's kind of a cliche, but I've I've seen that, and I've also seen them to be quite tall before. I think I think probably the biggest personal angel that I've seen was in the vicinity of fifteen or twenty feet tall, um, which is which is pretty tall. Um, and so it, they do vary in size and shape, but I am, we, we can very easily get into a little bit too much of a carnal mindset in thinking that, well, small means weak and big means stronger or more important or, or something like that. And that's just not really the case when it comes to, comes to the angelic, the, you know, angels look like, this isn't, this isn't a perfect phrase, but they, they look like what they are. And so, some, um, uh, you know, someone who has an angel, this is a random example. It could mean different things based on context, but like someone who has a really tall angel might have a calling that involves being seen or or having a platform or, or things like that. Whereas someone who has an angel that's very strong, very muscular might be really called to have, be have like a breakthrough anointing where they are just able to give, uh, lead people into breakthrough and and just conquering things and and so oftentimes the way that a personal angel looks has to do with what what how either what that person is equipped to do or how heaven is responding to to what they're called to or what they're equipped to do fascinating now um other things that you see in the spirit you actually talk about this in the book are wounds you you actually you look at people say ha you know, there's an ax in your back. <laughs> like, so yeah. um, I, I want to just let you talk a little bit about that. Uh, some of your experiences with seeing wounds in the spirit and uh, ways that we should and should not deal with wounds that we incur. Yeah. So, oh, you know, I think I used even this exact phrase in the book that, you know, wounds, wounds are a natural part of life, you know, and little ones, big ones, they, they, they happen, you know, and they, I think 
Uh, and you know, I when I see this, it literally looks like as, as if it were some kind of physical cut or or you know stab or whatever else is going on. Again, it depends on what it is. I've, I've seen things that are very severe and things that are not. Um, I'll start with something really, really basic that a lot of us do, especially especially men, I think, tend to make this mistake, but is like, be honest about our wounds. Like if something hurt me, me saying it didn't hurt me doesn't mean it hurts me less. You know, me, me saying, ah, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's no big deal. You know, that, that, if that's not, tr there's times that those are true, of course, and there's times that something that might hurt one person's feelings don't hurt another. That's, that's perfectly normal, you know. But there's also times where that's our natural reaction to pain is to pretend like it's not happening or to, to pretend like it didn't bother us that much, you know? Um, and that, that number one is something I wouldn't recommend just because that it, because wounds just like in real life, you know, a wound needs to be taken care of. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be covered. You know, it needs to sometimes have time to heal. You know, of course there's, divine moments where God just heals that stuff instantly or, or there's a, there's an encounter with the Lord that just brings instantaneous breakthrough. But also sometimes a process is what is leading to that breakthrough. Um, this one's a little bit more hard to be self-aware about, but recognize when a wound hasn't been cleaned, like when, when there's bitterness, when there's that, that when it's not going away, you know, I can, you know, again, I can look at someone, I can see a nice, clean, fresh cut. It's like, okay, something just happened. You know, I can see um, uh, something that's like mostly healed up and, you know, a little bit red still. It's like, okay, that's, that's you know, getting better. That's being worked on. And then I can see those times where it's infected, you know, where it looks very, very uh, sickly. Um, this is getting a little, a little more uh, colorful, so I apologize. But I've seen times when they've been like, bad devices in the wound, like holding it open, you know, and that has to do with when, whether maybe again, it depends on the circumstance, but when our belief systems, lies that we're believing um, are reinforcing things that have hurt us are reinforcing, you know, that, that's when a lie is partnering with the wound. Um, I'm just going to, I'm sidestepping for just a second, but I, it's just popped into my, my heart for a second, but um, like we need to learn how to respond to our wounds, wounds correctly. And I'll just sidestep for a moment by saying the way that you do that is you find mothers and fathers in your life that you can trust. Um, you know, I have, I have little kids and it's, they, they hurt themselves, you know, and a uh, little kid, my, my son, when he was very little touched an iron, you know, hot iron. And, it, you know, again, one of those things where we set it down for five seconds and out of nowhere he zips over and, you know, smacks with his hand. He burned his hand, not terrible, but he burned it and it hurt. And I was able to be there to say, oh yeah, we don't touch that when it's hot. When it's plugged in like this, that means it's hot. Um, you know, this side of it is hot. Be able to teach him what happened. But it's very easy to imagine that if someone touched that and they didn't have a father, they could say, well, that's a bad device or that's a bad thing. We should never get close to that. This is bad. Someone burns their hand on the stove. It's like, oh, stoves are bad. We don't go near those. You know, you could get very wrong. I know this is kind of a silly example, but you can get very wrong information about what a stove is and not get any of the benefits of a stove, which is actually a good tool, a good device, you know, but if we use it incorrectly, we can hurt ourselves or 
And I, and again, this is going somewhere, but I, like I've been in a lot of, I've talked with a lot of friends that have been hurt by the prophetic, for example, who for a long time wouldn't touch the prophetic, wouldn't pursue it as a gift, thought it was invalid, thought it was bad because maybe someone gave them a bad word or they had a bad experience somewhere else. And they thought, well, this whole thing is bad. It's like, oh, no, one person made a mistake. You know, one, one person made, made an error. That doesn't mean the whole thing is bad. And again, that's, that's why it's so important for us to have mothers and fathers in our lives because they can, they're the ones who can say, you know, that, that can help us understand like, oh, you know, it's, it's really this part. This is this part of the oven up here is where it's hot. And this is, this is how we do this safely, you know? And so, yeah, that's one of the things with wounds is, uh, re- and recognizing that we need help, you know, because yeah, there's lots of wounds that you can heal up from just fine. You know, I've seen people on the opposite end of the spectrum of, you know, someone doesn't say hi to them in the hallway. And I see that form of wound and that can, and that's, again, it's, that, that can happen. But if every single time that happens, I need to rush to my counselor, you know, because so-and-so didn't say hi to me. Or if every little thing is becoming devastating to not, oh, I have to learn how to heal. I have to learn the skill of healing. You know, I need to learn the skill of I putting a bandaid on myself, you know, but then also the other side of recognizing when, Oh, I'm, I don't know how to fix this like this. I don't know how to fix this. And this isn't getting better. This is getting infected. This is turning into bitterness. I'm having a hard time forgiving that person. Every time I think about that person, I get angry again. Uh, Those are, those are signs of like, okay, this is, this is building up. And so I need some help. I need someone to help me figure out how to forgive, how to let, let Jesus heal this. And so that's just a few things around wounds that I've just seen. That's really good. You know, um, it's very important, I think, for people to understand that the, the, the damage that we take in this broken, dark world uh, does have a spiritual counterpart um, that can be seen. The soul does get tore up. It gets wounded. And um, one of the things that I have learned is that, you know, people want protection. People want protection. And so self-protection is often the default go-to because God's protection doesn't feel safe for most of us starting out, right? And one of the forms of self-protection is denying the pain. If I deny it hurts, and I know this because this was my problem for a while, Blake. Mm -hmm. I used to do this all the time. It's like, oh, did that hurt? No, no, it didn't hurt at all. I'm fine. I'm bulletproof. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not bulletproof. (laughs) Come on, man. You know, so you have to like, yeah, acknowledge that you are not Superman. Mm-hmm. Even if you are a man, it, it did hurt. That did break your heart. That did cause it. And, 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 and one of the things that I've learned about God's protection is that he literally walks around with a med kit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's not that, you know, what Bible says, offenses must come, but woe to those by whom they come. You're going to get hurt in this world. Yeah. But God is always there to heal us on the back end of every wound that we incur, even helping people that are hurting. My line of business, (laughs) Blake, I I mean, we haven't talked much about it, but I'll tell you, I get stabbed all the time. Uh, I I mean, it's pretty brutal uh, at times. And not getting into any specifics, but one of the things I've had to learn is 
God as my protector is my healer on a daily basis. So if the stab comes, yes, it hurt. Now, Jesus, will you heal that so we can move on? It's a, it's a different way to live life, like to know that people will hurt you and you put healthy boundaries in place, but you have permission to hurt and you have permission to heal. I want to let you talk a little bit about the, the, the uh, compare and contrast because you have an extraordinary story in your book about two friends. Um, mm-hmm. I found it very powerful. And uh, I, I would like to let you share that just to kind of illustrate the different ways this plays out. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, it's funny. I, I was actually teaching a message on Sunday at, at our church here at Bethel Atlanta. And I wanted to talk on this subject. And I uh, was struggling to find an example. And finally, the Holy Spirit brought these two friends of mine up to my mind. And for whatever reason, these friends were from kind of, we, we all knew each other, but they weren't, they weren't friends enough with each other that I had put this together as clearly. And then all of a sudden I just looked at the track of their life and their background. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is the same, you know? And so I, I changed their names in the book to, you know, uh, cover, cover them. But I had these two friends when I was in school and it was re- it's a really fascinating case study in this because they were both uh, had very similar backgrounds. They had um, really kind of rough upbringings, a lot of disconnect with their parents. Um, both of their fathers were were pretty abusive, and both of their mothers um, were kind of un- unstable, dealt with mental illness and and things of that nature. Both of them at their wedding, their their uh, parents kind of made a big mess and just, you know, hurtful things and all that kind of stuff. And so just very, very similar histories. And they got married, if I remember correctly, I think it was the same year or or shortly after one one another. They both got married right about the same time. And I watched these two friends with very similar backgrounds, similar age. They actually had the same first name, which is kind of ironic, you know. (laughs) And um, now I watched as they went from their marriage point forward and I watched that both at the beginning they had a lot of struggle and they, they both got married pretty young had a lot of struggle a lot of just you know disconnect learning how to do this you know didn't have good pictures from, from their family upbringing of how to create a healthy marriage and I would see these friends come and I'd see like these scratches you know on, on their face and just all the hurt you know all the all the, you know, the harsh words. And again, their, their spouses were good people and they were good people, of course, but just, you know, just working it out, you know, and real life. Yeah. Real life stuff, you know, and, and one friend, you know, they, they went and they had to live with uh, his spouse's parents for, for a short time. And the, their parents were a little bit kind of controlling, always sided with the spouse, you know, that sort of thing. And I watched these wounds come up. And eventually he just started shutting down. You know, he just wasn't showing up. You know, he was just pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. I saw these wounds just getting deeper and deeper and bigger and bigger on him. And, you know, it's sad to say, but as time, time went, he ended up, um, uh, you know, making some bad choices, having an affair. Um, just because he had this pain that he wasn't processing, you know, and it just led him to make these bad choices. And, so uh, in a good way, there was this kind of a good blow up that kind of needed to happen where like started resetting some things and working on it. But, you know, honestly, still to this day, just working through this stuff, you know, and, and building up, working on these wounds and being able to face them and, and get them healed. 
Whereas my other friend, I watched, you know, again, same kind of thing, a lot of disconnect, a lot of fighting early on, but pretty quickly as things were getting messy, you know, he's like, I need a counselor. I need mothers and fathers in my life. I need to meet with my friends and just talk about what's going on. Even if I don't not get advice or whatever, I just need to be able to work through this to, to, to have people that know what's going on that are pouring into me and that we're working on this and it's, and it's people that are going to kick me back into the game, you know, again and again to keep growing and working at this. And even though I would even sometimes see more scratches than, than my other friend, I noticed that these, like, whereas my other, my, my first friend, the scratches would just stay and then more would be added and more would be added. This other friend, he would have plenty, but the ones that were there the previous week would have been healed. And these, all the cuts would be new ones. And so I just watched the person work on it, hash it out and start to grow to where there's fewer and fewer cuts. And now those, those two are still, they're still married. They have a great relationship. They're both in ministry together. Their kids are awesome and they're doing really, really well. And, you know, it was this, this beautiful and, and, uh, you know, tragic picture of a truth that I had seen many times, but this was one of the most just kind of practical examples of it's important for us to know that we have a responsibility in how we respond to wounds. And I love both of my friends and I'm not comparing them to each other in, in value or in, in quality or, or whatever else. But I saw one friend handle their wounds by shutting down, by pushing down, by suppressing. And I watched that blow up their life. And I'm honestly a little bit scared because I don't know, they've made a whole lot of growth, but I can see where they maybe need to keep growing and, and are still has some of those habits of just trying to push it down, trying to push it down. Whereas my other friend, he, you know, he learned how to invite people in, how to, again, find those mothers and fathers. He, and he, he found them. He, he, he just went hunting for them, like good counselors, good moms and dads, good married couples to, to pour in. And I've watched that couple grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And so it, and it's, it, it's especially powerful in seeing people that had such similar backgrounds had been through such similar things, have had a turning point in their lives go such different ways. And, you know, I, I mentioned this in the book and it's true, you know, they, they were very, very similar in a whole lot of ways. They're also different. They also had little different backgrounds. And so it's not, it's really not fair to, to compare. But the truth is, is that I've seen, I've seen people with backgrounds that would make you cry yeah. that, are so healed and so restored and have allowed the Holy Spirit to touch so many of those broken places that when you hear their story, you're shocked that it's true because you don't see a mark of it on them. You don't see it in their attitude. You don't see it in their character. You don't see it in the kids because they've just been healed. And on the flip side, I've seen people who let one little thing, a, a pastor that didn't say hi to them, a, 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 you know, a joke that was maybe a bit too harsh or whatever else, just fester and grow into this thing that, that destroys their life. And, and while it doesn't mean that those things that cause the wound were okay, it does show me that the way that we choose to respond, that whether we choose to let God in and heal these things or not, is, 
it's not a, a, our healing isn't determined by how severe the wound is. Sure. Our healing is determined by how much we let God in to heal it. That's so good. That's so good. Um, why do you recommend that people practice seeing in the spirit during worship? Yeah, I, part of it might be that I'm a little bit biased in that that's where, that's where I learned how to use it the best. That was my kind of playground. That was my testing ground the most. Again, like I said, I've seen the spirit my whole life, but I do describe this in the book of that was my kind of safe spot where I started to really, for lack of a better term, kind of build my spiritual vocabulary um, to sort of to put together my understanding of how all this fit together. And um, so I'm a little bit biased uh, just in that that's what worked really well for me. Um, secondly, I think that it's so important, and I might catch a little bit of flack from some folks for this one, but I think that we, a lot of people that I meet with this gifting make what I believe is a mistake in that assuming that the, the main point of this gift is discerning of spirits, is discerning whether something is good or bad, to keep an eye out for demonic stuff and see if stuff is of the Lord. Now, that is, that is part of what this gift is for, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't consider that as the main purpose of this gift. I believe that the main purpose of this gift is to discern and understand what God is doing and to understand, to be invited in to understand God's ways. And I think that when we, when we exercise in the context of worship, to me, that is, that is one area that is um, just a very kind of clean, clear, even a good foundation, a good baseline where God's people are worshiping him. Like that is a beautiful kind of foundation to build my understanding of how the spirit realm works. Because um, when we're, when we're doing that, we're seeing what it looks like when God's people love on him and what it looks like when God loves on his people that uh, of course he's always loving, but that active interaction, you know, relational moment. And, 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 and again, just for practical reasons also, there's a lot going on in worship. You know, you have a bunch of God's people worshiping him. They all have personal angels with them. We have the angels that are participating with the worship of the people. And so there's a whole kind of situation going on there. Again, typically you're in a place of worship or, or a church. And so there's going to be stuff there that is just kind of part of the the authority and the structure of the church there. And so there's a lot of opportunity for a pretty wide variety of things to be going on. And there's also stuff that the Lord is preparing to release throughout the rest of the day, whether it's a church service in a, in a message or, or in ministry afterwards or whatever else. Um, and so there's lots of opportunities for lots of different kinds of things to be seen. So practically, I think it's a good, a good place to start as well. Um, and I will say again, just going back to kind of how we do the negative stuff, um, is it's so essential that I, I haven't, I don't, I didn't address this very directly in, in profound good. I'm actually going to be talking about a lot in my, my next book. Um, but it's so essential that we only view the demonic 
while seated in heavenly places with God, that we, that we are viewing that stuff from the context of relationship and connection with God. Because any other viewpoint is going to be an, an, an inaccurate one. It's, it's going to puff up what the enemy is doing because it's what he has to do. You know, he has to build this big, you know, Hollywood set to try to make everything look so much bigger than it is. And when we can, you know, step over this way with the Holy Spirit, we can actually see what's going on rather than being on the other end and seeing what the enemy wants us to see, you know? Well, you bring up a really good point there. And this is something that, um, you know, we've actually had to navigate and help people to step towards uh, at our ministry because it's sometimes when people begin to operate in a seer gift, the first thing that opens up to them is a revelation of how the enemy is attacking them, Mm -hmm. which can be very useful because if you see the attack coming, you can pray against the attack, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you camp there forever, that's all you're only going to ever see the ways the enemy is plotting against you. And that's going to become your world. And what you're describing is a higher revelation and a higher operation where you stop looking so much at what the enemy is plotting to do. And you start looking at what God is wanting to do, mm-hmm. stepping into Christ, stepping into the heavenly places in him and addressing these things with the resources of heaven, which is a different way to engage entirely much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tracking with you. I'm yeah. tracking with you 100%. Um, let me ask you this. How many worship services, when you're watching what God is doing, do you also see the demonic having some kind of campaign? I, I mean, is it 1%? Is it 10%? Is it 100%? <laughs> so I, I guess the... There's a couple different ways to answer this question because there's a couple different layers of things that can be going on. So how, so just baseline, how many worship services have I seen some kind of demon around somewhere in that would be a hundred percent. That's because, and maybe a hundred percent is not quite right, but pretty, pretty high percentage. And the, the metaphor I'd use here is, you know, like, uh, so apparently the, the most disgusting thing in our lives are these telephones, which are covered in germs all the time. You know, like it, you know it's the dirtiest thing in your house because you know, most people don't scrub theirs down. And so it's covered in germs. And, you know, all of those germs and all the other germs that are around all the time, you know, just in physical, are there to kill you. They're there to infest your body and take over and get what they, you know, eat everything they can and can do that. Now, the truth is, is that most of the time this isn't a big deal because our body is fundamentally designed to fight those things off with very little attention. Like it's, it's just designed by default to fight those things off. It is, the, it is the exception to the norm that we get sick and need medicine or need a doctor or something like that. That is a deviation from normal. And, and so the... Um, so again, just to say, bring it back to the to the spiritual. Is demonic stuff trying to bother people in church? Definitely. Is that a problem for ninety percent of the people in there? Not really, because we're designed to fight that stuff off. It's, you know, uh, again, the Bible describes it. He's a roaming lion looking for whom he may devour. Is looking for looking for an opportunity. The, the, the implication is that it's not just any opportunity. He's looking for a, that opening, that 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 place there. 
Um, so when it comes to individuals, I'll, I'll see a pretty wide spectrum. Sometimes I'll see um, just stuff trying to hang around and trying to distract someone or, 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 you know, throw worry at someone or things like that. And I think we've all experienced that to, to some degree at different points in worship. I'll sometimes see people who are under, under some form of, uh, of kind of partnership with, with the demonic. Now this could be something as simple as, you know, a lie that they're believing, you know, a lie that they are kind of partnering with and, and kind of building a belief system around um it's and you know i can i there's I, i've i've never really personally been in a uh church service where it felt like some kind of grander scheme was going on in the demonic as far as like something was like infiltrating there's always just stuff that's just trying to attack you know um, now, again, I, I, sometimes that freaks people out when I say it that way, of like, hey, there's demons all over the place, you know, that, ah, you know, but again, the, the reality is when you look at it, there's germs all over the place. But again, most of the time, it just isn't a problem because we're designed to fight an, an entire war against our life with very little attention, you know? And so <laughs> that's, um that's kind of something to try to clarify because it can sometimes make people feel a little bit freaked out. Right. Right. Now I'm sitting here and I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. Check, check, check. Because what you're describing is accurate. You know, it's just the, it's the spirit world. It's just the way it is, you know, the physical mm-hmm. world, any city you go into, you're going to be on a street. There's going to be good people. There's going to be crooks. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. Yeah. And you're all walking the same street. Um, Thanks for sharing all of that. I, I want to actually talk to you about something else too. I, I think you have some cool things to say on the subject. Interacting with spiritual objects. When I go into uh, preaching places, uh, I, I will follow your advice, although I didn't necessarily get it from reading your book. It's great advice, right? So when I worship and I'm looking, I'm like, hmm, you know, what, what's going on here? And if I'm going to speak, I'll actually begin to see stuff to interact with. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool because you, you get like these clues to understand what God wants to do. I remember one time I was sitting there and, and I'm worshiping God and all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, whoa, you know, and I look up, giant mallet sitting on top of the church. Mm-hmm. I'm like, aha, that's a mallet of justice. God wants to break some chains. So mm-hmm. after I got done speaking, you know, I, I go into this, we do a little bit of repentance and stuff and breaking mm-hmm. chains and I start interacting with the mallet. And this, so the mallet starts dropping <laughs> People are like getting free and it's like, wow, this is so cool. You know, um, recently when we were in Australia, you know, I was looking around and it's, I'm seeing the different things to activate while speaking going on. I've had friends that describe to me, they'll see the angels show up and the angel will say, this is what I'm going to do today. And Mm -hmm. so they have to activate that angel into its thing by saying, you know, this is what the Lord is going to, he's going to be healing kneecaps today. Right. Mm-hmm. And the angel that's going to heal the kneecap just goes into action at that, you know, a- anyway, mm-hmm. your turn. Uh, I, h- how has this played into your ministry? Uh, what have you seen? Talk to us. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting because it, it's an area that is uh, relatively in my you know, career kind of new to me, or at least new to me in, that I'm really still even, I feel like a learner very much and how to, how to cooperate 
you know, again, very specifically with what heaven's doing. And it is funny because my nature is to be an observer. Like, oh, I want to look, I want to understand, I want to figure this out, I want to watch this, I wonder what's going to happen next, you know, that kind of thing. And I can, you know, there's one story in the veil where like an angel showed up at my house, uh, my apartment that I was in, I was in school, in nursery school. And, um, and, you know, I walked, uh, and the angel invited me to walk down the street. I walked down the street and there was this house that had this darkness around it. And as I stood there, the angel kind of sliced the darkness and it dissipated. And it, um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just so interesting because I thought, oh, I'm not going to do anything. And the, you know, I just, uh, the angel said, like, I, I couldn't be here unless you were here. And so even something as simple as like, okay, I'm walking down the street and as an act of obedience to what, what you know, heaven is inviting me to do, it releases something. So sometimes it can be something very simple. Um, you know, I, I, there's a story in, in Profound Good where I saw this clamp wrapped we were I was on the prayer line at Bethel and I there was this clamp wrapper on someone's back and it had a like a little turnkey on it, you know. And I just literally felt like I need to turn this key, you know. And so I reached out and grabbed it and I didn't, you know, I didn't feel anything in my, in my hands or anything, but I just kind of needed this movement and it moved with my my um turn and I just uh, you know, watch it loosen, 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 and come off. And the person told me that they felt the pain in their back, just the, that they were experiencing, just loosen, 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 and totally go away. And so that was just a cool, you know, small moment of just, okay, I'm just cooperating with, with heaven. And, um, you know, I, um, that this is a cool one that happened very recently with us at Bethel, Bethel Atlanta. Last Sunday, we just had a, we had a plan for our service, but just the presence of God just showed up in a way that totally uh, uh, devastated in a very good way, that, that plan. And um, we just started having people starting to get healed of just different illnesses and different uh, things that were going on. I just saw this big bowl that was pouring out presence right in the middle in the front of the stage. And it was so cool because we, um, we were having people come up that were, again, it was just kind of naturally happening in the congregation was just praying for people around them. And, People were getting healed. They're having people come up and release testimonies of what had happened. You know, people getting healed of knee pain, back pain, neck pain, just all, you know, people who had, there was one lady who had uh, two knee surgeries and had this severe pain in her knees for four years and then just disappeared, you know. Um, and so she came up and released the testimony and then uh, three people's hands would go up like, hey, I need that too, or I have something similar. And so she would run out and pray for them and I would see that presence just flow with her as she went out. And so even that act of coming up and sharing a testimony, heaven was partnering with that and releasing breakthrough. And we had, it was a very unusual service in that almost, I wouldn't say every, but almost every person who gave a testimony, some part of the testimony was involved with them later praying with one or two other people who got healed of the same thing. Like it was the Lord just repeating things, you know, really, really great time, you know? And, and so Again, it's, it goes back to even what I said of like, we think of the spirit realm as this other place, you know, or this, this other thing, but it's, it's just as much a part of creation as everything else. And so what we do, what we think, you know, it, it all is connected, you know, uh, this is just a fun one that I like to bring up sometimes because it makes people laugh, but again, I see people manifest in the presence of the Holy Spirit in different ways and just kind of react to the presence of God differently. 
And, you know, I remember there was this one service years ago where we were um, praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for anyone who never felt they had experienced that before. And so we had uh, <clears throat> lined people up and our pastor was going down praying for people. And each time they went by and praying for people, just different things would happen. I saw one angel swoop down and, you know, smash this um, glass ball that was full of electricity on this one person. Immediately the person started shaking, you know, and being electrified and fell over. Um, you know, another person, um, I just saw this, uh, this wave of light come down and just hit them, and just, you know, swooped and fell over. And so even those are oftentimes just reactions to what heaven's releasing, you know, in, in a given circumstance. And so now again, the, the, uh, the part that I still feel like a learner in a lot of ways, is just, you know, how do we, how do we respond? You know, and it's, it's, it's funny cause you can get, you can get funny about it where it's like, you know, oh, I have to stand in that corner and, and because you know, the presence is thicker there. And so, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to just get silly about it. But on the other side, and, and where it works for me is that it's, it's our father is partnering with us. He's teaching us how to do something that we may not know how to do yet, you know? And, you know, and again, you just look at the Bible, like for one person, the, their faith was, okay, I just need to get to Jesus and touch him. You know, the woman with the issue of blood. If I get to Jesus and touch him, I just, that's what I need. I just need to touch him. Pushes through the crowd, makes it, touches him, and then power is released. The person is healed. Jesus even notices it in the middle of a huge crowd, and the woman's healed. Whereas you go to the centurion who says, hey, my, my servant's sick, and, they say, and you know, Jesus offers to go. He says, now just say the words, and I know it will be done. Well, that's just where his faith was, you know? And... I think that in our minds, sometimes we can, and it's good to learn the principles, but we can be like, well, the centurion had, you know, level 10 faith and the, you know, woman with the issue of blood had level seven faith, you know, and I, I, I get that, but it's kind of funny because both of them walked away with a miracle, you know, both of them walked away with a touch from Jesus and both of them felt their faith drawn to a place and acted on it. Mm. And, so to me, that's just, you know, that's, that's all the same is that I think that's, you know, that's why there's so much mystery, I think, involved with this stuff because the Lord is teaching us. He's inviting us in to understand and saying, okay, where is your faith drawn? And it's like, okay, I need to, I need to stand up. Like I need to go to the front. Like, okay, they're calling for people who have back pain. Um, right now I just need to go up front. Like, can God heal me right here? Of course he can. You know, but my faith is pulling me. I got to go up front, you know, and, and, and try this and take a risk, you know. And so it's now, again, we, in that same service, we had people who got healed who no one prayed for. We got people who, who got healed after three people who had already been healed prayed for them. And, and so, again, I might look at one as superior to the other as like more anointed, but that's really kind of silly because, both, both of them got healed. And, and again, yeah, it's true that God right now could be healing someone over, over, you know, this, this video just as much as he could anywhere else because he can do it however. But there's something to him inviting that, where is your faith calling you to? You know, what is it calling you to do? So, yeah. You know, um, I, I'm just reminded, Bible says, right, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like you were talking about that turnkey. And I want to let you talk maybe just a little bit more about spiritual devices, because this is something we've run into big time. But 
um, just like you reached out, you didn't feel the key, you couldn't, you know, but, but you saw it and discerned it. And the act of faith by turning it became the evidence of its reality because it comes off and the person is healed. Yeah. And it's like this interaction is all based on faith. It's all based on, you know, it, it, physically it's not there, but I'm yet responding to something. And there is an immediate response that connects or plugs into the physical realm. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, the, you know, when you're talking about the seer realm, especially for those that have struggled in this area, because people listen to you and get this godly envy, it's going to be like, oh, I wish I could see like Blake. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, folks, I want to tell you something to encourage you a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't see like Blake. OK, <laughs> do not at all see like Blake. And as a matter of fact, more often I will know something to be true in the spirit and not see it. And that's something that I've had to learn how to flow with. You know, uh, don't be discouraged by the nature of Blake's operation. Be encouraged by the fact that we serve the same God. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do have instructions for people to step into the seer gift, Blake. Um, you, you do this, you do this corporately, you do this in your meetings, when you travel, we're going to walk into this. I want you to just give a few steps, a few keys to stepping into this gift for people that really are hungry for this thing. Certainly. Yeah. And I'll just, just do a touch of background in that I, and I know some people think differently about this and so you can email me if you'd like. Um, but I, I believe that every spiritual gift is available to every Christian. I think that in the same way that some people might be born with a natural predication for sports, and then another person might be born with a natural predication for art, or another person might be have a natural predication for singing or, or whatever else, that certain people are definitely built to be just very gifted in a particular area. But to me, it seems that some of the way that we look at spiritual gifts is like saying that because you're a really good artist, you're unable to swim. You know, it's just kind of a funny way of thinking, at least in my mindset. It's like, you might not be an Olympic swimmer. You can certainly get in the water and have a good time and, and swim around, you know. And, and so I, I, I do believe that, you know, some people are called to have a high level of gifting in the prophetic and seeing the spirit and healing these, these specific gifts. But I also, I don't think that healing is my highest gift by, by any means. But I've seen plenty of people get healed, you know, when, when, when I pray for them, when I see you know, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is bringing healing. And I don't think, you know, evangelism is my highest calling, but I've, you know, I've had you know, opportunities to lead people to the Lord. And so, again, to me, the idea that we're unable to do any particular gift just because it's not our main gift is you know, just kind of silly. And so I'll, I'll lay that as a background that I believe that this is available for every Christian. Um, my really, really simple, practical way to pursue this gift is kind of as we talked about earlier. Um, I, I do recommend um, starting with a worship service for, for the reasons that we talked about earlier. Um, but I am, um, I just tell people first, just ask the Holy Spirit where to look. You know, and this is a simple thing okay, should I look at the front? Should I look at the corner? Should I look behind the worship leader? Should I look, you know, behind the choir? Whatever it is, you know. Um, you know, should I, should I look in the back of the room? Um, ask the Holy Spirit to look, and then look there with your eyes open. Um, uh, it seems kind of obvious, but <laughs> sometimes people just go straight to closing their eyes. And I'll just share one quick story from a workshop. I remember one time we were doing this exercise, and 
um, a woman, the woman uh, immediately closed her eyes. And the second she closed her eyes, she had the experience like if, uh, like if someone showed a flashlight with your eyes closed, you can still kind of see through your eyelids. The second she closed her eyes, um, this bright light uh, passed in front of them. She snapped her eyes open, but then couldn't see um, anything in the spirit. And immediately she just heard the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, um, be ready for me to do more than you expect. And so I, I do encourage people, sometimes closing your eyes partway through can be helpful just to concentrate or to, to just listen to the Lord for a moment. But I always encourage people to start with their eyes open because I've had several people just see something immediately. Um, so ask the Holy Spirit where to look. Look there with your eyes open. And then I, say, I always tell people, look for big things, but also look for small things. I've, I've had people see a full-on open vision of an angel immediately before. That, that certainly happens. I also oftentimes have people just see like, again, like I've described, like an outline of, of a person or just kind of a, a splotch of, of color or a, like a kind of like heat distortion, like a wavy kind of thing or just a quick streak of light or, or things like that. Um, and so these small things can be an invitation to more. Even to this day, sometimes I just see things as a, as a blur or something quick. And then maybe I start to see it clear as I see it more often. Um, um, if you don't see anything with your eyes at all, and this, this is an important step, I think, is if you don't see anything with your eyes at all, then just ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what's there. And he might give you an impression, a picture in your mind's eye, a, a knowing like you've described or, or something else. Because even if we're not seeing with our eyes yet, if the Holy Spirit can speak to us, then he can certainly tell us what's going on in a given room. And then... The third step is, and I think is the most important, is just ask the Holy Spirit questions about that. You know, even if it's something more abstract, like, Lord, what was that, what was that streak of light? Why did it go from top to bottom instead of bottom to top? You know, why is that that outline over there instead of, you know, here, here, or somewhere else? Like, why is it right there? And just look for those little clue, clues. You know, and I and I, I really want to encourage people like this, it, this, this is a process that takes time. It takes a different amount of time for everyone that I've seen grow in this gift, but it does take time because you're building your understanding. You're building your ability to kind of learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. And I've had numerous people go several months just getting impressions of what's going on in the spirit realm. Then all of a sudden it, they just start seeing with their physical eyes. And I've had people who have pursued it for three, three years diligently, never seeing anything with their physical eyes, but getting impressions and getting more clarity on those things. And then all of a sudden after three years, boom, they start seeing in the spirit. And so it's, and I've had, again, like I said, people have it, you know, just break open immediately. It just, it just depends. You know, we're all, we're all climbing the mountain, but we're all coming from different angles. And, and so, that to me really is the simplest, most practical way is ask the Holy Spirit where to look, look there and look for big things, look for small things, and then ask the Holy Spirit what he has to say about it. And that simple exercise applied in a worship service, applied during a sermon, applied really anywhere, you know, is a great tool for just starting to build that vocabulary to exercise your mind, to start looking for what's going on in the spirit realm. And for me, that's the best way to activate it. It's just to continually exercise your mind to look for those things. That's really good. Um, this is the last question. Uh, do you have anything to add anecdotally about spiritual devices, such as cages, clamps, other things that you've mentioned? 
Yeah. Yeah, I have, uh, uh, it's interesting. I'm seeing, I have, there's a couple stories in the book where I include these, these kinds of things. And I've seen good versions and bad versions of these things. Obviously, they clamp around someone's back. Um, I, that was a negative thing because it was, you know, a picture of the pain they were experiencing. But I, um, you know, I, I'll just tell one story very briefly. I'll, I'll go in just a touch more detail than I did in, in the, the book on, on one part. I, in the book, there's a story about a pastor's um, retreat that I, that I was um, helping at. And um, I saw these leaders coming in, they were very wounded. And again, this, this part I'll abbreviate so I can get to the main thing, but angels were coming in and washing the wounds away and bringing the healing. And again, it just took, uh, like I said, I was a missionary kid and a pastor's kid. And so I, I understood the kind of hardship that goes into, you know, being in full-time ministry and pastoring and, and all that. And so I could see just all these wounds that were being just cleaned off and healed. Um, and after that, I saw uh, this division of Jesus walking into the room and he went up to this first leader and he, he you know, he hugged him and then he um, kind of touched his chest and opened it and just opened like it was a, like a chest of drawers. It was just this very, again, it sounds strange, but it, just, it looked like it was designed to do it. Like it just kind of popped open. And, um, and I could see the person's heart was in this cage. And it was this, it looked like, the best way I can describe it is it looked like a wild animal was trying to get into this cage. Like it was dented and bent and, and, mm. and, you know, kind of broken. And I just watched very tenderly as, the, as Jesus just kind of grabbed the door of this cage, opened it up and very carefully without touching the edges, you know, removed um, this from around the person's heart and, and threw it away. It picked up the person's heart. Yeah, Jesus picked up the person's heart and blew on it and it lit up like it was a coal and placed it back in their chest. And then, and this was the part that surprised me, um, was he reached behind him and pulled out a golden cage and put the heart back in, in this golden cage and put it back inside. And I, I left it a little bit open-ended in the book because I, I like to do that sometimes just to give the op opportunity for the Holy Spirit to, to speak to people about certain things. But I, I would, this surprised me just because in my perspective, I thought of that cage as a negative thing, like as trying to self-protect, you know, trying, you know, some of what we talked about earlier. And so it surprised me when the Lord put a cage around the person's heart. Um, and, and it may have been that that first cage represented self-protection or, or the best version of protection that, that someone knew, you know. Um, the thing that was cool to me in this was that it was a picture of, to me, of God understood where he was sending them. He understood what ministry was. He understood the, the tremendous expectations that people tend to put on leaders in the church. And he was equipping this person. He did this with every person in, in the room. He was equipping them to protect their hearts. And, and so it was surprising into me because I, I guess if I had kind of rewound what my expectations might have been otherwise was, hey, you know, Lord, protect my hearts. And that, it, it, to me, it was surprising that even in this prophetic picture that the Lord would leave something practical 
that are substantial to protect them. It wasn't the Lord's protection wasn't just this mystical thing. It wasn't just this idea that it was something that he was actually putting around their their hearts. And so that was something that really stuck out to me about that particular story. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Um, Blake, it has been a pleasure to have you on the program. Your book is called Profound Good. See God through the lens of his love. Why don't you take a minute and tell people where they can find that? Yeah, both available uh, and profound are available wherever books are sold. Uh, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, and just about anywhere else. Um, so yeah, you can find them there. And there's also audio versions on um, Audible.com if you prefer to listen. Beautiful, Blake. It's it's been um, such a pleasure. Uh, do you, do you have any uh, contact info you want to leave as far as uh, website or anything? Yeah, so my, my personal website is BlakeKHealy.com. I try to keep uh, my events up to date up there if people are interested in visiting when I'm out and about or events that I do here in Atlanta. Um, uh, I'm also the director of the, as we mentioned, the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry, which is just, a, um, again, I'm, I'm very biased, obviously, but just an amazing group of students that get together you know, every year to just concentrate some time just to pursuing everything that the Lord has for them. And so it's a nine month school, um, Mondays and Tuesday nights. So it's a two nights a week for nine months and it's a four year school. And so, um, this is Bethel Atlanta, um, school, uh, com, And you can find more information there if that's something that you're interested in, uh, or just visiting us to kind of check it out. Great. Wonderful. Uh, folks, Blake Healy has been my guest today. We are finished with this week's podcast. So goodbye. And until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.